Good morning, afternoon, or evening. This is Indiana University Mauer School of Law's IP Theory Journal video series, Fire of Genius. Welcome to our interview. I'm Taylor Lavender. I'm Matthew Spiegel. And I'm Mo Jamal. We are all 2Ls and associates on IP Theory. Today, you'll be hearing from Hudan Omar. Hudan is a policy analyst focusing on AI policy at the Information Technology and Innovation Foundation Center for Data Innovation. Hudan writes and speaks on a variety of issues related to data-driven innovation, including data availability, reliability, and portability. Her work covers U.S. policy and artificial intelligence across sectors such as healthcare, education, and government. Previously, she worked as a senior consultant on technology and risk management in London and as a crypto economist in Berlin. She has a master's degree in economics and mathematics from the University of Edinburgh. Today, we will be asking Hudan some questions about the role of artificial intelligence in inventorship. For more information on this topic, check out her article titled, Patent Law Doesn't Need to Recognize AI Inventors. Hi, Hudan. Uh, thank you for joining us for IP Theory's Fire of Genius. We're really excited to speak with you today and learn about your policy approach as to why artificial intelligence should not be considered an inventor in patents. Uh, let's go ahead and get started. So could you briefly just describe kind of what took your career in the direction of artificial intelligence policy and its recent relation to patent policy? Yes, so first of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, I've had a look at the podcast series and it looks really good, so I'm really grateful to be invited on. Um, so yeah, I first actually became interested in IP back in 2016, 2017, um, when we really started to see a boom in the kind of number of diverse authors online who were demanding recognition and redistribution for the kind of cultural works they were producing online. Um, you know, back in 2017, it was Vine and these other platforms that don't really exist today. And today it's TikTok. But in, you know, all of these cases, it's, it was creators online who are creating this really viral online content that then, you know, mushrooms into tangible social and cultural impact. And, you know, the creation of derivative works, like, um, you know, if you remember there was this Vine eyebrows on fleek and it, you know, actually mushroomed into t-shirts with the slogan and advertising campaigns. And Denny's had, you know, come and get your pancakes, eyebrows on fleek, and it made no sense, but it was really, you know, mushroomed into this, into this huge thing. And you saw online original content creators asking, what are my rights in this? What am I owed? Um, and then more generally kind of my interest in data-driven innovation and the data-driven marketplace eventually led me to working at the Center for Data Innovation, which is a nonprofit, nonpartisan think tank. And the goal of what we do is really to think about what kind of pragmatic public policies um, the United States needs to maximize the benefits of innovation and data-driven innovation and for AI that's what public policies do you need to maximize the benefits of innovation in this space and then one of the questions that comes out of that is now that AI is inventing things do we need to change you know patent policy. So before we get into the policy discussion do you mind briefly defining artificial intelligence? <laughs> yeah uh, so this is always a, a good question then. I might not be the best one to answer it, but um, you know, artificial intelligence is a branch of computer science that's devoted to creating computer systems that can perform um, tasks that are characteristic of human intelligence. You know, systems that can learn, systems that can make decisions. Um, but AI is actually a very broad umbrella. There are a lot of important subfields. So, for example, 
you know, one of the most important subfields of AI is machine learning, which focuses on building systems that can learn and improve without actually having to explicitly program those systems with particular solutions. Um, another branch is neural networks, which are algorithms that mimic the way that human brains recognize the relationships between different data sets. Um, you know, another important one is natural language processing, um, which as the you know, name suggests, it's algorithms that help computers understand, interpret and manipulate human language. But I think probably for the, you know, the purposes of today's conversation, there are kind of two ways to look at any AI system, you know, in the context of IP. One way is to think about an AI system as just another tool that can come up with different things, but it's still humans who are determining how you use that tool um, and, you know, how to create new things with the outputs that it comes up with. Um, and so an AI tool wouldn't be that different than an electron microscope. A microscope that a human uses to identify new things about cells and then comes up with you know new drugs or whatever um, and another way is to think about ai as something very different than a tool it's to think about it as an independent person almost so if you think about a parent who kind of trains a very precocious child on research techniques and that child comes up with um, you know uses that training and uses those techniques to come up with something on their own um, some people see AI like that. They see it as, you know, a child that's been trained by a grown-up because neither the child nor the AI system can really survive without that grown-up training them and sustaining them. For a child, it's food and shelter. And for an AI system, it's hardware and electricity. But, in you know, both of them are creators in their own right. And because a child would be given rights over whatever they create, some people think that also AI systems should have the right to the works that they create in a similar kind of way. So that's a, that's a great segue kind of into the next topic we wanted to discuss with you. So, so in April, 2020, the USPTO stated that an inventor on a patent application can only be a natural person, therefore rejecting two patent applications that named an, art, an AI system as the inventor. Um, so do you agree with the USPTO's decision? And if so, why? Yeah, so I should also say that it, it wasn't just the United States, it was also the UK and the European Union's uh, patent offices have also said the same thing. Um, you know, they don't think that an inventor or, or an AI system should be, you know, considered an inventor on a patent application. And I do think that it's the right decision to make because, you know, you three will definitely know this better than me, but the goal of uh, you know, patent law, is, as I understand it, is that, you know, the goal is let's foster innovation, let's foster competitiveness, let's foster job growth, you know, in the United States or the EU or the UK, um, by protecting the economic rights of the inventor. So the question becomes, if we allow an AI system to be named as an inventor, is the patent system able to continue to do its job of promoting economic rights and kind of pr promoting growth or protecting economic rights and promoting growth? And I think the answer is no, um, for a couple of reasons, but one of the main ones is if you give an AI system economic rights, then you also have to have it be liable for, for, for those, you know, for whatever rights you give it. You know, if an AI system infringes on the rights of other people, on the IP rights of others, then the, then the government has to be able to hold that AI system accountable and liable for that. It has to be able to disincentivize them from doing so in the same way that it would disincentivize or sanction a human from doing those things by fining it or throwing it in jail or whatever. But obviously, you can't do that with an AI system. 
um, because it can't respond to those incentives. It can't respond to financial incentives or other types of incentives. And, you know, some people might say, yeah, but, you know, the owner or the operator of that AI system can respond to those incentives, can respond to those financial incentives. So why, you know, the government could just hold them liable. But then they would be well within their rights to say, okay, hey, you recognize the AI inventor when it was doing those legal things. You recognized it as the owner and having these economic rights. Um, now that it's doing illegal things, I'm supposed to be held responsible? No, you know, it has to be, it has to have, have both. Um, and so I think, you know, if you can't figure that out, if we can't figure out how to make AI systems liable, then giving it economic rights, on the other hand, is also, you know, it's a sticky, it's a sticky situation. That's, that's fascinating. Okay, so, so you gave us kind of the, the, uh, the economic side, and I'm, I'm kind of wondering also if you felt there were any moral implications, um, or like, like more societal implications that, that would uh, result from like these types of decisions. Yeah, um, I think, I think, yeah, when we say moral or societal implications, I would think about it more in terms of a, I'd think about it more on terms of the societal side, what are the social ramifications um, of saying that an AI is an inventor. And I think one of the main ones is it reflects this idea or this um, sort of hypothesis that AI systems are human-like, that they, that they do have autonomous intelligence, that they have consciousness in the same way that humans do, and they just don't. <laughs> the idea of having artificial general intelligence, which is this like, you know, intelligent agents that can understand and they can do intellectual tasks in the same way as humans, is so far away from anything that we have now or that we're close to getting towards. Um, AI really is uh, an emerging technology. It's still in its very early days. Um, and we're just, you know, to say if we were getting close to artificial general intelligence, right, uh, we'd have much bigger problems than thinking about, you know, it's, it's economic rights and, and, and these kind of patent questions. We'd have much huger questions. It's just, it's not there yet. And giving it these rights kind of, um, I think for the general populace can, can imply that we're getting there or, or give this social idea that we're getting there and we just aren't. And, and in terms of on the economic side, even beyond liability, if you say that an AI system has economic rights, then it has, it has the right to license its works. It has the right to execute contracts. It has the right to collect payments for whatever licenses it, it you know, gives out, which it obviously can't do. It's not making those decisions because it's not artificial general intelligence. It doesn't have the ability to decide those things for itself. It's a human that would be that would have to be involved in that and doing that. So, you know, an AI system just, I don't think is 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 ready or, or really can be an owner in the way that we're thinking about it. Great, thank you for that. So kind of more on, I guess, the economic side of things, do you think that um, some of those problems could be potentially solved if um, the creator of the AI system is by statute named a co-inventor or um, by statute, the AI system that is the inventor in this hypothetical has to exclusively license or assign their rights to the creator. So essentially the, the human creator um, would be kind of in charge, but they would still have AI as an inventor. So you're saying if we had the AI inventor 
on the patent as a co-creator with the human. Um, I guess, I, I, think, I think it just makes more sense to just have the creator or the developer of an AI system as the inventor. Um, it's just easier, it's more efficient, and it's the more viable option. I mean, there are some, you know, really convoluted options that I think we could come up with, like you name the AI as inventor, and then it can somehow assign the patent to someone else. Um, but it just creates unnecessary complexity for no good reason. I feel like there has to be a really solid reason for why we're doing this. It just it just makes more sense for the AI, um, for the kind of patent owner to be the creator or the developer. But I think there are some kind of commercial negotiations that could come after that to define the relationship between the developer and the user of an AI service. So, um, you know, if I Hodan developed an AI system or service and then I subsequently sold it to you, we could come up with some kind of license or, or something where, you know, either I sell it to you out and you buy it from me outright and then you have all the, um, you kind of have, you have full ownership and any IP rights then goes to you, or we could come up with a contract that's, you know, I stipulate any IP that it comes up with afterwards, I should be a co-creator alongside you. I think there are different ways that we could come up with things after the fact, but having it initially be that, you know, how are we going to do that if the, if the AI system is also initially on it with me, me and the AI system, I can come up with these licenses with you, but it, it can't. So I think it just makes more sense to have the, the kind of developer or creator be the, be the sole person on there. So do you have any idea why this problem with AI inventorship arose, I guess? In other words, are there any benefits to naming AI as an inventor on a patent application? Um, you know, I think I should be fair. <laughs> I should be fair. I think most people who argue that AI systems should have rights are doing so because they believe it somehow results in better outcomes for humans overall not because they believe that robots deserve rights or that they have, there's some kind of, kind of moral obligation that we have to give um, AI systems rights. And I think, you know, one of the reasons that they think overall that it would bring better outcomes for humans overall is because they think it's unfair or there's an argument that it's unfair for an inventor of an inventive AI system to be on par with a traditional inventor, which is a bit convoluted, but let's put it like this. Let's say, again, I, Hodan, develop an AI system that can come up with a new type of chair, like it's developing some sort of new product, whatever, and you use just your brain to come up with that same product. It's saying that, it, you know, the argument is if we are put on the same level, if we equate what I've done just by developing this system with what you've done using your brain to just come up with it, it would be unfair to you because you know it would be discouraging you know emotionally or economically it would be discouraging to you that we've been put on the same level and therefore you would have less of an incentive to create and at a wide scale it would mean that generally traditional humans would be so discouraged to invent that they wouldn't invent things anymore and now it would just be people who are inventing you know inventive ai systems and you know by saying that the ai invented it 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 kind of mitigates that emotional impact that it would have. And so I think they're thinking about it on an economic level of, you know, 
if we completely disincentivize traditional humans from creating things, then that's not good overall. It's not that the AI system deserves those rights or anything. But the issue is there isn't actually that much evidence. I don't really see the link to say that that would be the case, that if I, if we said my AI system was the inventor, that you would be, you know, suddenly feel great and you would start inventing again. Because if we look at the research into what motivates people like you, inventors, um, the evidence says that, you know, inventors are intrinsically driven by things like you know, wanting to solve problems and be intellectually challenged and perhaps, you know, you want to create value for your company or whatever. That's completely independent. You, you, whatever your motivations are for inventing are completely independent of whether I or my AI system are on patent. It's, it's really, th that link has to be made clear. There's, there's no evidence to suggest that me naming or, or that naming a human on the patent is going to have any effect on your incentive to create. But that's about as much as I can get into the heads of, of others. Gotcha. So, so one one question um, that we had was more related to the kind of the congressional policy and the actual statutory policy behind it. Um, so basically, so naming AI as an inventor is related to the language of the Patent Act. So for, for example, the language of the Patent Act suggests that an inventor must be a natural person because it uses terms like whoever, uses terms like himself or himself, uh, himself or herself, and terms like individual. Um, from your research, have you seen ha have you seen any anything that can potentially show that Congress may one day head in this direction where they might amend this statute, where they might change it to you know whoever or whatever, or mm -hmm. or, or other like policy considerations? I guess we're really curious about you know if there's a certain pocket of Congress that is really for this change and whether they might be trying to make any changes to the act itself. Yeah, I think, I think it, I think it does change by jurisdiction. Um, you know, in general, I think at least in the EU and the United States and the United Kingdom that, that I don't really see there being this push towards expanding the terminology to whomever or whatever. And I think it's because the, the, the thing about changing the terminology or expanding the language is about expanding it to, that means that you're saying that AI systems have natural personhood or that they are people in the same way. If we, you know, the reason that you don't want to expand that language is because of its implications for saying that AI systems are now people in the same way that herself or himself is. Um, and, you know, granting personhood brings all those issues that we've talked about, you know, brings the issues of economic liability and the ability to, um, you know, license things out and those sorts of things. Um, but I think other places are slightly more lenient. Uh, you know, Saudi Arabia has said that Sophia the robot is a citizen and that she has citizenship. Um, India has been slightly more flexible. But again, whether those are sort of PR, you know, closer to the PR, uh, side of things and how much that actually has any implications on their kind of regulatory environment. I don't, it's not very clear. Um, but certainly, I, I don't really see much, um, much movement towards expanding language um, in Congress here in the United States, or, you know, I don't see much of an appetite for it in, in the EU or the United Kingdom, uh, really, no. Great. Um, one 
kind of point that you mentioned earlier was kind of the idea that we're not yet um, at general artificial intelligence and um, that there might be bigger issues once we get there than patent policy. Um, but I guess kind of going towards that, do you think um, when we get to general, general artificial intelligence or the point that AI is truly by itself coming up with inventions, do you think at that point there would have to be serious conversations as to um, is AI the inventor or is the creator of the AI system still the inventor? Or do you think um, there wouldn't be an issue at that point that we'd kind of be past it? Um, to be honest, I'm kind of, I'm one of the skeptics around artificial general intelligence. I, you know, should we get there? <laughs> Some political language, should we get there? Um, I, I honestly believe that the, the queries that we'll be thinking about of this conscious being that's creating these things by itself, you know, is it going around, you know, walking around this earth, making decisions, you know, the, all those things of personhood, will our first thought be, did it, did it come up with that chair? <laughs> I just, <laughs> I, I don't think that it will, um, Yes, fine. If it becomes a, a, a person, then perhaps there'll be this conversation about whether it should be the inventor on certain things. But I would hope that there would be like 500 other things that we were thinking about um, before then. But should we get there, I would definitely be willing to reconsider this conversation. Yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to speak with us. This was an intriguing conversation and I've definitely learned a lot about policy around artificial intelligence. Truthfully, I think I'm more of a skeptic now as well. So you convinced me. And to everybody watching, thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.